everybody. Welcome to the export. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tay, aka somebody who I'm very interested to know his opinion on the Los Angeles Chargers' decision to fire head coach Brandon Staley as well as their general manager Tom Telesco today. Um, what's the LeBron mean that everybody shares after he won? It's about it's about damn time. Yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, especially after that wild card game when they blew, like, the 27-point lead. In that moment, it seemed like it was an inevitability that Brandon Staley was going to get fired. I didn't think it was going to take this long for it to happen, but I can't say I'm all that surprised, you know, that it eventually did. And Tom Telesco as well. He's been a pretty good GM over the years, but it's clear for one reason or another that team is not working. And so I'm interested to see what they decide to do next. So in your opinion – do you think that the Chargers opening is the most appealing of all the potential head coach openings to come this offseason? A hundred percent. Because you already have a franchise quarterback, you have weapons on offense, and you also have pieces on defense. I feel like with most of these other jobs that could potentially be open, you have one of the other. In the case of the Chargers, you have like playmakers on both sides of the ball. So I definitely think it's a great one. My only question is just cap flexibility. They don't have much of it. And so this offseason, whoever they bring in, both as a GM and as a head coach, they're going to have to do some maneuvering with regards to getting contracts in order. What do you want to do with Joey Bosa or Khalil Mack? Um, Keenan Allen, we know, is wide receiver one. Do you feel comfortable going in with Mike Williams as your wide receiver two? What's up with Austin Eckler? There's just so many different questions that are going to be answered this offseason for this team. But even still, I mean, like you said, like you have your franchise quarterback. You know who your guy is going to be for at least the next five years. So that's a major weight off of whoever takes over shoulders. So I'm excited to see how it all shakes out. Um, We got a dope show for you guys today. Um, in addition to talking about what just went on with the Los Angeles Chargers, we're also going to kind of take a deep dive into Cam Newton's comments about the four quarterbacks he called game managers and whether or not he we would take either prime Cam or these four quarterbacks in their prime. Uh, also, with regards to the NBA, we're going to take a look at some of the recent trade rumors revolving around D'Angelo Russell and John Collins and trying to find a new potential home for them, as well as dis- discuss the latest drama with Draymond Green. And then close things out, dishing out a few end-of-the-year WWE awards. But before we get to any of that, Please sure to check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net with exclusive scores content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So this week's college football player spotlight is going to go on redshirt sophomore cornerback for Alabama, Terion Arnold, who has been a ball hawk this season. Um, this year he has 61 tackles, a sack, a forced fumble, five interceptions, and 11 pass defenses. Why you can make an argument between him him and Kool-Aid McKinstry, the other top-tier corner at Alabama as the best corner in this draft. Personally, I'm a sucker for some good ball skills, and Arnold absolutely has that. And so with the draft rapidly approaching, what team do you think should take a look at him come April? In my opinion, I don't know if they'd be able to, but if they were to pull something off, I'm going to have to play the Tennessee Titans. Um, because on the defensive side of the football, they pretty much have 
every position locked up outside of like secondary positions. So like the D line's great, the linebackers are um consistent, but the secondary has been bad, especially at corner. Um so I definitely think that the Titans should take a look. Um I don't know if they necessarily pull the trigger because I think the greater need is O line, but I definitely think they should be somebody that's in the um that's in the um the room thinking about their decision. Yeah, I would I feel you on that. I think I don't think that the secondary, the Titans secondary team can go into next season with the corners that they have now. I just I just don't think you can do that and actually expect to really have a competent defense cuz like you said the front seven is fine, but that secondary has some obvious holes in it. Um I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, their defense has been playing pretty solid um, this year despite losing some superstars such as Leonard Floyd or Jalen Ramsey, like Bobby Wagner, guys like that. And they've been so young. And while it hasn't always been pretty, they've been able to get the job done. But I think that giving them uh, – Terion Arnold could give them an infusion of youth on that back end and really give them that clear number one corner who can make plays for them but also do so – um, in a way that helps him grow his game, but also makes him very cheap compared to the other top-tier corners in the league. Obviously, I'm not expecting him to come out and be the best corner in the league, but I do think he'd be a really, really good fit on that defense. But all right, let's go ahead and turn the clock and uh, look back at week 14, starting off with the New England Patriots defeating the Pittsburgh Steelers on Thursday Night Football 21-18. to My Baltimore Ravens escaped the Los Angeles Rams in an overtime thriller 37-31. to uh, The Chicago Bears get revenge against the Detroit Lions, taking them down 28-13. to Denver Broncos blow out the Los Angeles Chargers 24-7. to New Orleans Saints in the three- or four-game losing streak um, with their big win over the Carolina Panthers 28-6. to uh, Cincinnati Bengals make a statement against the Indianapolis Colts 34-14. Cleveland Browns defeat the Jacksonville Jaguars 31-27. Tampa Bay takes the division lead in the NFC South, beating the Atlanta Falcons 29-25. New York Jets beat up on the Houston Texans 30-6. San Francisco 49ers get the better of NFC West opponents, Seattle Seahawks 28-16. Vikings win a offensive snooze fest against the Las Vegas Raiders 3-0. Uh, Buffalo Bills edge out the Kansas City Chiefs 20-17. The Dallas Cowboys emphatically defeat the Philadelphia Eagles Sunday Night Football 33-13. New York Giants win a slugfest against the Green Bay Packers 24-22. And your Tennessee Titans won with an improbable comeback against the Miami Dolphins 28-27. On the week, I win 7-8. And you went eight and seven. So I want to say, what game gave you the edge? I think it was the Browns and uh, Jags game. I think that's what did it. But all right, let's go ahead and look at some of the injuries. The Baltimore Ravens are placing wide receiver and starting kick returner Devin DuVernay on injured reserve. His re- He can come back within the next four weeks. Um, the Chicago Bears lose defensive end Yannick Ngakwe. He is done for the year after breaking his ankle. And as most of you know, quarterback for the Los Angeles Chargers, Justin Herbert is done for the year following a fractured right, I'm sorry, following surgery on his fractured right index finger. All right, so let's jump into our top three takeaways of the week. Ethan, you can start us off. Top three takeaways. Um, Number three, the Jacksonville Jaguars aren't one of the heavyweights of the AFC. This has been something that's been questioned all throughout the course of this season of like 
when they go up against teams that are lesser opponents, they look great. But then they face a team that's slightly competent and they fail to win those games. And that happened again this past Sunday against the Browns. Uh, and I think it's just hard because they have, like going into this season, we were expecting them to make a leap. And I don't think they've made the leap at all. It's weird. I think I think they've made a leap, but I don't think it's a big enough leap to be considered one of the top teams in the conference. Like, I'll say this because they started off so slow last year. And this year, it feels like they're beating the teams that they should beat, which is something that they haven't really been able to do in the past. But I feel you. Like, it hasn't been, like, a big enough lead to be like, oh, yeah, they're definitely a Super Bowl contender because they're not. Um, My number three is I'm jumping on the Deontay Banks bandwagon. So, for those of you who uh, didn't listen to a lot of draft coverage, one of my favorite prospects coming in was Ricky – well, was a cornerback out of Maryland, a.k.a. uh, Deontay Banks. And my thought process was if Baltimore wasn't going to draft a receiver, I wanted Deontay Banks. Obviously, we ended up with Zay Flowers, which has worked out. And Deontay Banks ended up with the New York Giants where he's played really really well I mean this past Monday he had a great game 12 tackles tackle for loss a pass deflection on potential touchdown which was probably my favorite play of the game and just he looks really really good and obviously nobody's saying that this Giants defense is one of the best but I think that as they usher in this new era and get better and add more talent I think he has the potential to be on the forefront of that in addition to Kayvon Thibodeau um for me my number two quarterback Will Levis is showing the Titans that at least for the foreseeable future, he might be their guy. Um, going into the game against Miami, I watched, honestly, everything up until the miraculous comeback. Um, and I was, I was in, I was kind of like, okay, this is a, this is what I was expecting. I kind of had written it off and was like, it's starting to get late. I'm just gonna go to bed. And then I wake up the next morning to text from you and to ESPN, and they came back. And then I watched the uh, highlights of the comeback, and it's like he was ma- he made some impressive plays throughout the course of that comeback. And I think that if they're able to improve offensive line play, I don't know what is going to happen with DeAndre Hopkins because he has a player option. Um, but if they're able to improve the O-line and give him some weapons, I think he can show that he might be worth potentially making the franchise guy. You talking about Will Levis or D-Hop? Will Levis. Oh, yeah. I agree. I mean, I we talked about this. Like, I think at the very least, he's earned at least another year. At the very least. He's been – because I'll, I'll admit, at times I've gotten bored watching Ryan Tannehill as the Titans quarterback. But – and not saying Will Levis is, like, this super exciting player, but, like, he takes more chances downfield. Like, I'm not saying he needs to keep putting his body in harm's way. But I respect that. I respect that he's always willing to fight for those extra yards. And if he take a lick afterward, then so be it. But he's willing to do everything for his team. And getting to watch him play um, against the Colts a couple weeks ago, like, really showed me, like, nah, Will Levis is Will Levis is that cat. He's really – I'm excited to see what the future holds for him because I think that Tennessee has been waiting for a quarterback to be the guy because for the last few years, like with Ryan Tannehill, everybody knew Derrick Henry was the guy, and rightfully so. But for the first time, it feels like they have a quarterback who can be the face of their franchise and, like, possibly lead them somewhere. So I'm excited to see how that all unfolds. Um, my number two is the longer Kirk Cousins is out, the more he's shown his value to Minnesota. 
I know that they had they won like the next two or three games after he tore his Achilles um, when they brought in Josh Dobbs. But we talked about this just with regards to players who can have all the talent around them and not be able to do anything with it. This past game against the Raiders showed that because the Raiders' defense has definitely gotten better over the past few weeks, but there is no way that you should only have three points against them especially when you have an offense as talented as the Vikings. Jay Jett is before he got hurt. Jordan Addison is still there. TJ Hawkinson is still there. KJ Osborne is solid. I always mention him, but he is. Ty Chandler, who's a good running back. Alexander Madison, who was playing well before he got hurt. And so just with every passing week, you see we're, we're being reminded just because you have the weapons doesn't mean you're going to be a good quarterback. And I know that a lot of people, including us at times, like rag on Kirk Cousins. But this season is showing many teams would kill to have a Kirk Cousins under center. Oh, 100%. Like, if, being completely honest, if the Titans hadn't pulled the trigger on Will Levis and he shown a sign, I would have been on the bandwagon to try to sign Kirk in the offseason. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if, if Lamar went down, our offense would obviously change. But of the possible quarterbacks I could get, Give me Kirk Cousins, hands down. And it also is a reminder, like, why they didn't trade him initially when they were struggling because they know they needed him. Um, And number one, what's your top takeaway? My number one takeaway is, I think, and I think you highlighted this last week, this Eagles defense isn't the same defense that led them to the Super Bowl last year. Um, They, they still have good pieces like Jalen Carter, Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis. Like Hassan Reddick, those guys are dogs. But injuries to the linebacker position and shaky um, play in the secondary kind of has this defense in like this maligned state of like you you have good pieces, but you aren't making the plays that need to be made. Yeah. And I think when you look at the when you look at the infrastructure of the NLC, like. You've already lost big to the Cowboys. You've already lost big to the 49ers. Those are going to be the top the teams that you're going to have to, like, run into on the way to potentially making a run at the Super Bowl. And right now, with the way that their defense is playing, I don't know if they'd be able to beat either one of those teams. Yeah. I mean, and it sucks because we know their offense is talented. Obviously, they made multiple different mistakes uh, Sunday night. But at least – their defense was like, you know, just get us stopped. Because with that offense, you still feel like they got a chance to be in any game. But that defense just could not do anything. And I know that um, Aubrey, the kicker for Dallas, I want to say he had, what, 15 points by himself? Like, I want to say he outscored the Eagles, like, personally. like, And it's just like... It's frustrating because we know how good this Eagles defense can be. And like you said, like, there's so much talent there. But for the past few weeks, they just have not been able to put it together, and the offense has not been able to cover up their sins. So I don't know what it's going to take. I hope they pull it together because I do like the Eagles, but who knows how it's all going to shake out. All right, and then uh, my number one, it also relates to the Jags. But I'm going to say the Jags made a mistake letting Trevor Lawrence play on Sunday. Like, I know that he was cleared to do so with his ankle, but it's like you're going up against one of the most – 
talented, if not the most talented pass rusher in the entire NFL. And just along the Browns' defensive line, they are not slouches. And so you're putting your off. I mean, you're putting your quarterback against that group with a shaky offensive line situation. It's not gonna work out, and it didn't. He got sacked four times, threw three picks, and I'm sure there are people out there trying to say, "Oh, well, he was hurt. He was hurt." Okay, well then they shouldn't have played him, especially because if they would have known they were gonna lose anyway, they shouldn't even have put it out there. So I think that they made a mistake putting him out on the field. But all right, let's go ahead and talk the most impressive players of the week. Starting offensively, who you got? Offensively, I got to go. I don't want to give this team any credit, but I have to go with this player. I got to go with Joe Flacco. Like, I think he's 38 years old, hadn't played in the NFL in, what, two years? No, he played last year, but he was with the Jets. That's right, he did play for the Jets. But... Came off the couch and outdoor Justin, um, not Justin, but Trevor Lawrence. I'm gonna go with Tylen Wallace. One, that was the most stressful Ravens game I've watched all season. I'm saying something because this team don't do nothing but stress me out. But the fact is he scored that punt return touchdown in his first, I want to say it was his first career game in the NFL returning punts. And the way that he did it and how many tackles he had to break to do so. Because, I mean, he had to come in for Devin Duvernay. I mean... That was impressive. Like, it was, a, like I said, very stressful game. And to have your backup kick returner come in and do something like that, I got to give you props in some form or fashion. So, I'm going with Tylen. All right, defensive player, who you got? Defensively, I have – I got to go with the whole Titans defense. Um, I know they gave up a bunch of points, but when they needed to make stops – they were able to make stops to complete their combat. Uh, I'm going to go with Stephon Gilmore. I mean, he talked about it at the beginning of the game, saying that uh, I guess A.J. Brown had called him old and it made him mad and he wanted to show him, and he did. Overall, he had nine tackles, a forced fumble on A.J. Brown, and kept A.J. Brown relatively in check, which they absolutely did not do the first time these two teams squared off. And so, yeah, I mean, Stephon Gilmore, I know we haven't talked about him a lot um, but he's had a pretty solid year with the Cowboys, and, I mean, their defense has been playing pretty well over the course of this season, particularly in this last three-game stretch. And so I got to give love to uh, Mr. Gilmore. All right, I feel like I already know he's going to say Rookie of the Week, but who you got? Oh, it's obviously Will Lewis. That's fair. Uh, I'm going to go Ivan Pace, rookie linebacker for the Minnesota Vikings. That game was not good for offenses. But if you're a defense, you want to look at that tape and say, okay, what did I do right? Ivan Pace did a lot of things right for the Vikings. Had 13 tackles, a sack, an interception. One of the few entertaining parts of that whole game. All right, who was your most disappointing player of the week? Trevor Lawrence. I get, like you just stated, like people were talking about he's hurt. But, like, if you're hurt to the point where you're having that level of performance, don't play. Yeah. Like, you're one of the top young, promising quarterbacks in the NFL, and you got outplayed by a guy that just hopped up off the couch a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, I'm going to it. I mean – Tua has had really good games, but the biggest knock against him has been what does Tua look like when Tyreek Hill is not on the field or Tyreek Hill is not himself? And that question got answered this past Monday. Um, He had a solid completion percentage, but he still had three fumbles. No, yeah, three fumbles. Two of them lost, I believe. No, I lied. Two fumbles, one lost. 
He didn't throw any touchdowns, and he wasn't able to pick apart a Titans defense that has had major, major struggles. And, I mean, it didn't help that he was getting sacked, but he was also holding the ball too long just because without Tyreek Hill there, he didn't have a chance to just dump the ball up to Tyreek and get those yak yards. And so I was disappointed in Tua, and it will be interesting to see how the season plays out, especially with Tyreek Hill's health being in question because I know at least for this upcoming week he's listed as questionable. But all right, let's go ahead and look at the current playoff picture as it stands. Luckily, neither of the teams last night are in the playoff picture, so, you know, it's not affecting anything. But let's start off in the AFC. If the playoffs started right now, the Baltimore Ravens would have the number one seed. The Miami Dolphins would be have the number two seed and face the number seven seed Indianapolis Colts. The number three seed Kansas City Chiefs would face the number six seed Pittsburgh Steelers. And the number four seed Jacksonville Jaguars would face the number five seed Cleveland Browns. Let's say the playoffs started right now. Which wild card matchup would you be most interested in? Uh, can you list them one more time? Dolphins, Colts, Chiefs, Steelers, Jags, Browns. Uh, I'm going to say Chiefs, Steelers. Obviously, I still have like a lot of love and appreciation for the Steelers. Um. Uh, but I also just think like it could be a good game because if every, if it's still his defense is healthy, I just want to see how they will do up against Patrick Mahomes, especially Mahomes that at this point, um, because of his weapons hasn't had like those um video game number like games this season. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. Um I think that I would also go with Chiefs and Steelers just because, like you said, I think it'd be a bit more competitive of a game. And the Steelers' defense has been playing fairly well. Um, and so I want to see how they do against these receivers. I mean, I think it'd be a major disadvantage at line I'm at linebacker because usually their linebackers tend to cover tight ends. And so I don't think a Landon Roberts or Michael Walker could do anything with Travis Kelsey. So I think that'd be the biggest question mark. But I think everything else – the Steelers will be able to hold their own. Offensively, the question is, can they score 20 points? That's hard enough for them to do against any defense, but the uh, Chiefs defense has been playing very well. So, yeah, I think I'd agree with you in terms of that being the most intriguing matchup. All right, same question for the NFC. Right now, the San Francisco 49ers hold on to that number one seed. Uh, it would be the Dallas Cowboys, who are the second seed, versus the seventh seed Green Bay Packers, the third seed Detroit Lions versus the sixth seed Minnesota Vikings, and the fourth seed Buccaneers versus the fifth seed Eagles. Uh, that's tough because I feel like all of those, none of those guys would be competitive. But I would have to say the Eagles, just because I want to see if they're able to regain their form at the start of the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, they'd be going up against a good offense. I would go – I think I'd go Cowboys-Packers. I'm not exactly on the Jordan Love bandwagon, like no disrespect to him. I think he's been playing well. But he's he's had his moments where, like prime example of Monday, where he just looked like a guy – and if you want to lead your team in the playoffs, you got to be a bit more than that. And this Dallas Cowboys defense is not going to be easy to go up against. So I'd be interested to see how he handles them. I mean, he watched for years Aaron Rodgers pick them apart. And I know he's not Aaron Rodgers. I'm not saying he is. But I'd be interested to see what did he learn from A-Rod to be able to go up against this defense. So that would probably be it for me. 
All right, let's go ahead and look at some roster moves um, going into week 15. Starting off with uh, veteran kicker Robbie Gould announcing his retirement after 18 seasons. Chiefs wide receiver Justin Ross has been suspended for six games after violating the NFL's um, per personal conduct policy. Um, looking at some uh, uh, signings and trades, the Baltimore Ravens have signed quarterback Malik Cunningham from the uh, New England Patriots practice squad. He... Uh, X was a star at Louisville, made some nice plays in the preseason, and now he is playing with former LSU, I mean, not LSU, former Louisville teammate Lamar Jackson. And the Dolphins extended right tackle Austin Jackson on a three-year, $36 million deal, helping to shore up the right side of their defensive line. So we talked about this a bit at the top, but Cam Newton caused a stir this week when he mentioned some of the NFL players who were game managers, mentioning Brock Purdy, Tua Tungabailoa, Jared Goff, and Dak Prescott. And people lost their freaking minds. You would have thought that he said they were trash, they were garbage, they shouldn't be in the NFL with the backlash that Cam Newton has gotten including some people even questioning the legitimacy of his career and what he accomplished when he was in the NFL. And so we could easily play a game of are these quarterbacks really game managers or not, but that's too easy. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to compare prime Cam and who he was at his best to the quarterbacks that he mentioned and the teams they are on now and which one we would rather have. And so we're going to start off with prime cam versus Tua Tungavailoa, if the Dolphins had their choice, which quarterback do you think would be a better fit for their offense? If they had a choice, I'm going to be honest. I think they still go with Tua because Tua is more accurate than Cam. I'd agree with that. He has a better deep ball. But I don't yeah. – again, I'm not saying Cam is – two is better than Cam, but in this situation, I would agree with you. Yeah. Cam Newton or Brock Purdy? I'm going to say Cam because I feel like with the way that their offense is constructed and the players around it, like Cam could make the plays that Brock Purdy has made, but he also will bring an element that Brock Purdy really doesn't have, which is their rushing capability. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say Cam. I'd agree with that. And again, like it now, alternatively from Miami, it's not like Brock Purdy is throwing 50-yard bombs every game. Like most of his players, most of what he has to do is throw the ball short, let the guys like Debo or Brandon Ayuk or George Kittle uh, make plays underneath. And, I mean, you got Christian McCaffrey again, who he used to play with in Carolina. I'd agree with you. I would go Cam as well. All right, this is an easy one. Cam Newton or Jared Goff? Cam. Easily, hands down. Especially with the way that Jerry Goff's been playing this past few games. Definitely Cam. All right, last but not least, Cam or Dak Prescott? Cam. Because I feel like Cam is just an upgraded ver He does every. He can do everything that Dak can do, but just better. That and also his run ability, I think, forces defenses to, like, they, they can't just not stack the box. They can't just not have a quarterback spy. Dak isn't just going to really run on you. He rarely ever does, whereas Cam is such a threat to where it's like you don't even want to risk it. And so, yeah, I would agree with you on that. And so today he, like, came out with a response to what everybody is saying. And so he mentioned, like, in his opinion, 
there's only like four or five quarterbacks who are game changers. And he said, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, and Aaron Rodgers. Would you agree with that list? Uh, I would. I would put Jalen Hurts on the, like, outside looking in of that list, but I would agree with that list. I would, at this very moment, I would probably put Jalen Hurts over Aaron but I don't think I'd put either of them up there right now. Like Aaron a couple years ago, absolutely, no question. But we don't know what Aaron Rodgers we're actually going to get. And then Jalen coming into the season, hands down, like the Super Bowl is a perfect example of it. But like he really hasn't had a game like that with the exception of the Bills game where he really just put the team on his back and carried. So I would definitely say four, but – I don't, I don't know if I'll go five. But all right, let's go ahead and keep talking about some controversial opinions. Uh, one of the most controversial players in the league right now is DK Metcalf, who has clearly been frustrated, whether it be um, unfollowing the Seahawks on social media, uh, whether it be constantly starting fights with players or in my favorite moment, Suplex and Fred Warner this past week, throwing down helmets, just visibly upset, especially during the Seahawks' recent losing streak. It, it's got me questioning, is it believable or buffoonery that this will be the last season that DK Metcalf wears a Seahawks uniform? I think it's believable. Um, from the stance of him being frustrated, to being honest, I think, like, Pete Carroll has had a reputation for like losing his players and like losing the locker room, i.e. the Legion of Boom, that whole team. And I think like having a guy like DK around could be the start of that. Cause I mean, you look at it from the stance of like everybody else on the team, everybody else seemed to be cool. Yeah. Like, but DK is the only one that's disgruntled. And, like, you don't want that to potentially affect the whole locker room. So I think this is his last year in the Seahawks uniform. I, I'm going to say it's believable as well. And also because everybody else in the locker room seems to be, like, real even killed. But DK has always been somebody who shows his emotions. Like, yeah. DK is very emotional when he is on the field. And I'm sure that translates to the rest of life. But we don't know like, like that. And I think that if you are Pete Carroll, like you said, like, you don't want that to mess up your locker room because you do have a solid young roster. You don't want him to like getting ahead of Jackson Smith and Jigba. And then, dang, maybe Jackson Smith and Jigba starts acting like that after his rookie year's ends. Maybe Kenneth Walker starts getting like that and he gets frustrated. And I think that it's frustrating because DK is obviously talented and his frustrations are warranted. Losing four straight games suck. But you also got to know how to like handle yourself and – for a team like Seattle, who has not been afraid of getting rid of talented players, it would not shock me if these antics continue and they're like, you know what, forget it. We're just going to move on, especially because it's not like they, they're working on a contract. He already signed a contract, I think, last year or the year before. And it's a relatively short deal. So, yeah, I think it's believable as well. All right, you mentioned uh, 
Joe Flacco as your most impressive offensive player this week, and rightfully so. He had a great game in a pivotal game against the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. Afterwards, star defensive end Miles Garrett said this about Mr. Flacco. He's elite. He's a dragon. I can't explain it. Man picks up the playbook, scans through it, downloads the plays, and throws for 300 yards. Everybody is on the Flacco train, but... The Browns have yet to clinch a playoff spot. Right now, they're the fifth seed in the AFC. And over the next four weeks, they got the Bears, Texans, Jets, Bengals. Believable or buffoonery, Joe Flacco will lead the Browns to the playoffs. I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's believable because their defense is still the stronger part of their unit. They like to run the ball. And the, their schedule isn't like isn't bad. It'll be different if they were going up against a couple of hard hitters. Like if Joe Burrow was playing in their game, their Bengals game, I might say no. But I think just like from who they have left on their schedule, I know they probably will face C.J. Stroud. But I think their defense could carry them, and Joe Burrow could just—I mean, not Joe Burrow, Joe Flacco—can just game manage, and they make the playoffs. I think it's believable, but I don't know if it's going to happen. And it's not totally on them why I say this. Like, I think that if you look at the AFC picture, there are six teams that are seven and six right now. And so if, let's say they lose this week against the Bears. If the Broncos win, they're going to jump them in the playoff standings. If the Steelers win, they're going to jump them. If the Texans win, I believe they would jump them. The Bills are another team up there. The Colts, like, just about every – there are six teams nipping at your heels to where you can't make a mistake. And so, like I said, if they were to lose this weekend and another team wins, they can get bounced and possibly even be knocked out of the playoff picture entirely. And so there's just so little margin for error. And Joe Flacco's been playing great. Don't get it twisted. But I could see that Bears game being tricky because their offensive line is beat to hell. I forgot in the injuries that um, Grant Delpit, their starting safety, my dog who got a contract extension, he's done for the next four weeks with, I think, a shoulder injury. Ogbo Ogbonia, one of their edge rushers, is done for the season. Not to mention uh, Jedrick Wills, I believe, is done for the year. Dewan Jones, their starting right tackle, is done for the year, too. And so Montez Sweat, I could see him putting a lot of pressure on Joe Flacco and that leading to mistakes. The Texans defense, you got to deal with Will Anderson, Jonathan Grenard, and then Derek Singley back there. That could lead to mistakes. The Jets, we don't even really got to get into detail on that. Or Trey Hendrickson, who just had a great game against Indianapolis. And so I, I trust their defense against all these offenses. Don't get it twisted. I just don't know if I trust Joe Burrow enough to where if he doesn't have all the time in the world to block – he's going to be able to make a play because he's not going to do it with his legs. And so I think that's what trips me up. I think they can do it, but I just don't think they will, if that makes sense. All right, last thing before we move on to our game picks, keeping things in the AFC North. Following the two latest brutal losses for the Pittsburgh Steelers, it's got people calling the team out, not just externally in the media, but in the locker room and former players. For example, following the game, Minka Fitzpatrick got candid um, with his teammates and said, dudes just think that because they're wearing the black and gold that they're going to win games. And I think we need to check that mentality and make people realize they got to earn that mentality. 
also Big Ben, aka Ben Raplesberger, uh, talked about his former team and their latest struggles um, on his podcast and said maybe the tradition of the Pittsburgh Steelers is done. He also added, you can't afford in the second half of games to burn silly timeouts and to not have them late in the game. To me, that's bad coaching. That's a crazy thing to think because, like, we talk about the Patriot way, but the Steelers have a very similar, like, philosophy in their own right. It just does not necessarily have a name. But, like, you see the Steelers and you just kind of expect a certain level of consistency that hasn't been there. So, believable or buffoonery, the respected Steelers mentality is long gone. I'm going to say... I'm going to say believable. I don't think it's long gone, but I think it's starting to show the signs of like um, fading away. I think the Steelers, like they've had this tradition for like decades, not even years, but decades. And it's a different time and different age. And I think like you're going to have to adapt that um, type of tradition that you guys have. Like, I think about the when you look at it, the two teams that were referencing the, uh, the Patriots and the Steelers, like, they haven't adapted their way since their glory days. And that's telling. Like, you look at the top teams in the NFL now, like, they have their, like, culture. Mm-hmm. But it's like a new, it's like a culture that's kind of set in the new age of football and a new age of player. And I think that's the piece that the Steelers and the Patriots don't have. It's like they haven't really adapted to the times. Mm-hmm. And it's only, um, like, case in point, you have like the situation with um, George Pickens and Deontay Johnson. Like, yes, we've seen wide receivers be frustrated that they aren't getting the ball. But like, it's ways that you can kind of, like, appease them. Like, hey, if it means throwing them a screen just so they can touch the ball. Right. Like, do something like that. Um, and I think that's more so what it is. Is like, the Steelers' way needs to adapt and kind of grow to um, continue. Yeah, I'm going to say... Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think it's totally gone because we've absolutely seen it, like, throughout this season. Like, we're going to beat you because we're going to knock beat you up on defense and we are going to pound the rock. And I can understand the frustration for wide receivers like a George Pickens where at Georgia, yeah, y'all ran the ball a lot, but you were still getting yours. Deontay Johnson, who's been with the system, I mean, he's been a part of those offenses with Big Ben where they tried to throw the ball more. And they it was working for a while, but now that it's not because the pass game has just not been good all year and you're now you're kind of being enforced in situations to, like, not just run the ball because defense is trying to key in on that, it's becoming a problem. And so it's it's crazy because, like, defensively I think it's there. And I think maybe that's why I don't think it's long gone yet. But like you said, offensively they just have such an archaic way of thinking that it's been holding them back because they have the talent minus at quarterback to be at worst a top 15 offense in the NFL. By comparison, they are one of the worst. Like, I think they average, like, 16.2 points in a game, which I think is – I know it's no better than 27th in the league. And on the alternative, like, you look at the game this weekend, they're going up against the Colts, who are averaging over 24 points per game. And let's be honest, and this isn't a knock, 
the uh, sorry, the Steelers offensively have much more talent than the Colts do. But why do they make it work? Because of great coaching. Because they their coaching and their offense is created in a way to where it works in the NFL today. Whereas the Steelers' offense, no matter how ta- much talent they have, they're not adapting with the times, which is a problem. So for the first time, I think I've probably ever said since like really watching football, the Steelers' offense is the one that really needs to step up. They're the ones that are going to have to start carrying the load because it's clear that the defense can't do it no more. Not because they're bad, but because it's just not working. So I'm interested to see how it all shakes out. But I, I agree with you. I think it is starting to fade. But all right, let's make game picks. Starting off with three games this Saturday. Uh, first one at noon Central Time, 1 o'clock my time. The Cincinnati Bengals versus the Minnesota Vikings. Obviously, I'm excited for this game because it's low-key at LSU Bowl. And so Jamar Chase, wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals, was asked about Jay Jettas and who's better between them. He said, I'm the best. I don't feel like we're the two best. I'm the best. So it got me to thinking. I've got Bengals winning. But who do you think has more yards, Jay Jettas or Jamar? Mm, I'm going to say Jamar because I don't – who's going to be QB for the Vikings? Nick Mullins. Yeah, I'm going to say Jamar. Felt that. Who you got winning the game? Bengals. Yep, we're in agreement on both. I love Jay Jettas. But also, honestly, I'm kind of shocked that he's playing after, like, his chest injury. Like, he had to go to the hospital for it. Luckily, it was nothing too crazy, but – I'm in a contract year. Y'all not about to mess up my money. I want to come back. Um. All right. Next up, we got the Pittsburgh Steelers coming to Indy to face the Colts. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say Steelers because they have this weird thing of every time you feel like they're about to be out, they find a way to win the game that you don't expect them to win. Felt that. All right, last game on Sun on Saturday. The Denver Broncos heading to Motown to face the Lions. This is tough. I'm gonna pick Broncos because I don't trust Jared Goff right now. I don't think this is tough because, like you stated, Jared Goff hasn't played great recently. The Broncos' defense is like made this spectacular turnaround and like. Russ is looking like the Russell O, so I'm going to say Broncos. All right, next up we got Kansas City Chiefs versus the New England Patriots. The Chiefs should win this game, but, you know, football is weird. Yeah, I'm going to say Chiefs. Uh, next up we got the New York Jets versus the Miami Dolphins. Honestly, regardless of if Tyreek Hill plays or not, I, I think Dolphins win that game. Dolphins. Uh, Cleveland Browns versus the Chicago Bears. Taking total personal feelings out of it, I'm going Browns. Browns. Houston Texans with seemingly out of C.J. Stroud. Davis Mills looks like he's going to get the start against your Tennessee Titans. I'm going to say Titans. This is a very tough one to pick. I think I'm going to go Texans. I'm not confident in it. I, I, I'll say this. I trust the Texans secondary more. Well, that's what's going to be giving you the nod. Uh, New Orleans Saints hosting the New York Giants. This is, I'm going to say Giants. Okay. I'm going to go Saints. I'm not, again, I'm not confident in it, but I'm going to go Saints. Uh, Atlanta Falcons versus the Carolina Panthers. Falcons should win, but I would not be mad to see the Panthers get their second win of the season. Uh, Falcons. 
Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Green Bay Packers. I'm going to say Packers. I'm I, I'm going to say Bucks, mainly because I saw the struggles that the Packers had against like Wandell Robinson and Jalen Hyatt. They're about to go up against Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. If they don't shape up, it's going to be ugly. San Francisco 49ers headed to the desert to face the uh, Arizona Cardinals. I got Niners. Niners by 30. Uh, Los Angeles Rams hosting the Washington Commanders. Mm, This is, I'm going to say Rams. This one, this was an easy one for me, just cause that Rams offense is legit. Like Puka is great, Cooper Cup is the man, Kyron Williams has been really good, Matthew Stafford looks competent. I know that defense can't stop nobody, but that offense can go with just about anybody. All right, this is possibly game of the week. Dallas Cowboys uh, head into Buffalo to face the Bills. Oh, Cowboys, cause the Bills defense hasn't been great. I'm gonna go Bills because the Bills defense hasn't been great, but I think that they're starting to get momentum at the right time. And I think this is gonna sound weird. I don't think that the Cowboys defense have has faced a better quarterback this season than Josh Allen. And I love me some Jalen Hurts. I think Jalen Hurts is very good. But he hasn't played like that top three quarterback has, and I've seen I've seen Josh Allen do it. The problem is he's going to throw you some picks, and that's bound to happen. He's going to throw at least two, no, one or two this Sunday, but I still think they pull it off. Um, Baltimore Ravens heading to Jacksonville to face the Jags Sunday night football. Ravens. I hope we're both right. All right, last but certainly not least, Monday Night Football, the Philadelphia Eagles hoping to get back on track against the Seattle Seahawks. I think this can be their get-right game. I got Philly. I got Philly, too. All right, let's talk the offensive, defensive, and rookie players we are watching this week. Offensively, I'm watching Jared Goff. I've said it multiple times throughout the show, and I mean it. I don't trust him. However, this defense that they're going against, the Broncos defense has been playing well, but they're not this this star-studded group. Outside of Pat Sertan, it's easy for casual fans not to be able to recognize any of their players. And, I mean, you have talent. Really, you just got to not mess up. Because if they can sustain drives, they can score. But it all starts with Jerry Goff being able to have ball security. Uh, for me, it's, it has to be nobody but Josh Allen. Um, he's been. This is the most scrutiny he's faced, I feel like, in his whole career. He's kind of bounced back. But if he goes out and he loses this game against Dallas and they don't make the playoffs, I think like this is when he finally will receive the – the level of flat that he should for like the past couple of seasons. I do agree with you there because he's gotten off. So even like leading the league in picks, people are still trying to say he's a top quarterback. Like, yeah. come on now, chill. Um, defensively, I'm watching Montez Sweat. I mentioned it a little bit earlier when we were playing our game, Believable Buffoonery. But the Browns are down their starting left tackle and their starting and backup right tackle. 
Montez Sweat has been playing great since coming over to Chicago, and I think that he's going to get kind of get that privilege that a lot of great defensive ends get where they can line up on either side. They just pick the most favorable matchup and line up and go. And I think that he could have a really, really big game, which the Bears are going to need if they're going to want to get their offense short field to win this game. For me, defensively, I am going to be – I'm going to be looking at the Steelers linebacking core. Um, they've been decimated with injuries, but – and I know the coach, like, they they like to run the ball. And that's the way – that's how I can see the coach winning this game is if they're able to, like, get the run game going, make the game easier for Garner Minshew. That's how they win. So if the coach, if the Steelers linebackers can slow down their run game and kind of make the coach one dimensional, I feel like that's the only way. That's their main way of winning that game. Um, Ricky, I'm watching. Is your boy Will Levis? I mean, without C.J. Stroud out, I'm kind of disappointed. I think it make for a better game. But Will Levis, I mean, this is your opportunity coming off a great momentum shift shifting game against the Miami Dolphins. Now it's your time because, I mean, Houston is solid, but they don't have the horses that Miami does. So Davis Mills might be able to get some stuff going. But if you're Will Levis, you arguably have better players to get the ball to compared to Houston. And so now you can show it off. Yeah, I'm in agreement with Will Levis as well. All right, and then last but not least, team I'm calling out, obviously Baltimore. There are – we can clinch a playoff spot this week. We would have to win, and, like, two other teams would have to lose. It's a lot of other stuff that I don't care about. All I care about is long as we handle our business, we're going to be in the playoffs. And a win like this against a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are also in the playoff hunt and probably going to win the division, it's a good testament. And plus, our defense needs to get right game because we got our asses kicked. For me, the team I'm calling out, is a team that I never thought that I would want to see win a game. I'm calling out the Dallas Cowboys. If y'all want to do one thing, force Josh Allen into like two or three interceptions and blow them out. Because, granny, I, I despise the Cowboys. But what I'm starting to like hate equally as much as the Cowboys is the way that people put Josh Allen on this pedestal after he plays and he continues to play mediocre because he makes a, a splash play or two here and there. And it's like, and then you have other quarterbacks that I think play can play better or have played better. And when they make a mistake, it's like um, the Antichrist came. Yeah. So do me a solid. Just go ahead and end this Josh Allen uh, parade, please. All I'm going to say on that tip before we move on to NBA is, for anybody who thinks that Josh Allen has played better than Lamar this year, you're insane. Merry Christmas. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA, starting with our Eastern Mamba of the Week. I got to go Giannis. I mean, 64 points is amazing, but, I mean, he's just been great per usual. I feel you. I would join you there. On the reason I'm not joining you there, don't get me wrong, 64 points, 64 points. The Pacers don't play defense, uh, but I'm going to go with Joel and That's fair. But, I mean, nobody else put up 60 this year. True. Yeah, at least. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's coming. It is coming, but 
still, he the first one to do it, and I think that set a franchise record with the Bucks, and they've had some great scores in there. Um, my Western Mamba is the man I love to hate, Anthony Davis. I mean, he's just he's been on a tear. I'm gonna get to it like shortly, but I gotta go AD. Uh, my Western Mamba, I am going to go Luka Doncic. And then uh, last but not least, my Rookie Mamba of the Week, I'm going Wimby. What was that, last Friday? He became the youngest player in NBA history to record a 20-point, 20-rebound game. Um, And also, he just dropped 30 against the Lakers and gave them a legitimate shot to win. Obviously, they ended up losing, but Wimby's been on a tear. It's just not leading to wins because the Spurs are not a good team. My Rookie of the Week is Oscar Sheway for scoring his first basket against the Milwaukee Bucks and causing arguably one of the funniest moments in the history of the NBA. First off, you're petty. And secondly, we're definitely going to talk to that because that's hilarious. Uh, Let's do takeaways. Number three for me, even with the Clippers' latest success with Harden getting back on track after a slow start, the 76ers are doing just fine without him, and I'd argue they're still winning that trade. Currently on a four-game win streak, Joel Embiid is balling out. Tyrese Maxey is looking like a legitimate number two option for them. So no complaints in Philly. Yeah, I'm actually going to piggyback off that. Like, being completely honest, I think – Philly should have made this decision a year ago. Yeah. Uh, because the thing that you saw with Tyrese Maxey was he he never shrunk in the big moments. Like, when they played against, if I'm not mistaken, it was in the playoffs against Miami. Like, even when Joel Embiid didn't look like Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey was, a, like, the force that was carrying him. And that should have let you know then, like, hey, this maybe we should, you know, actually make this the – the co-star to Joel Embiid instead of trying to force this James Harden thing. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that, like, and I think the way that the team is constructed now is kind of perfect for, like, that combination because you have, like, you have Tyrese, you have Joel, you have your guard and your center uh, combination, and then you just got a bunch of guys that can play defense and shoot. Yeah, agreed. Uh, number two for me is the Bucks and Pacers are becoming a must-see matchup because obviously because neither team really plays defense, it's going to be a lot of points, whatever. But also now I'm intrigued because now that the Pacers sign James Johnson after everything that transpired after the last game. And so I got to ask you, would you want, would you ever go for a game ball as hard as Giannis did? Or is it just uh, not that big a deal to you? I mean, given when Giannis stated his reason because Dame broke the record, I understood it. Would I go that hard for it? Absolutely not. But we all know that, like, a lot of these, like, the one thing that I will say about the in-season tournament, that's what sparked this. Yes. Because when Tyrese Halliburton hit that clutch three, he turned around and did yeah, the dang time. Yeah. I was, and it was I was like, oh, something's gonna come out of this. It might not happen at this moment. And l- literally the next time they played, something came about. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't go for a game ball that hard, but yeah. And it was funny to me because uh, 
they asked Giannis if he got a ball. He was like, I think it's the ball, but it doesn't feel like the game ball. It feels like a brand new ball. He's like, I played 35 minutes a day. I know what the game ball felt like. That is just so petty to me. Because I understand it from, like, the paper, Pacers standpoint. Like, okay, yeah, you want to, like, your rookie, he just scored his first NBA points. That's cute. But on the other hand, it's like, if I made history, give me the ball. Like, bump that. Give me the ball. Like, bro can score other points. If he want to get the ball, drop 64. Do something remarkable. So, uh, I'm so- I also want to blame the, like, books, like, coaching staff and stuff. Because I feel like in these situations, these are the things where it's like, you let it be known, like, once Johnny score 64, like, hey, we're going to take this ball. But... You can say it, but that don't mean they're going to give it to you easily. I mean, they were at home. It's different if they were in Indiana. They were at home. Still. Because I think the Pacers player had it, like, at the end of regulation. Or, like, they took it from them. Like, it's this whole situation is crazy to me because I don't – it would have to be – 64 is iconic and memorable for the Bucks, but, like – I don't think I would do nothing about it personally. I don't think it'd be that D to me. But if it's like a Kobe 81 or like a D-Book 70, yeah, I would do it. Not I go would, that hard, but I'm getting that ball. I wouldn't even say the D-Book 70 because being honest, their 70 was kind of like... It came in a like, loss. It The loss and it was honestly the easiest 70 points i ever seen scored because he shot a lot of free throws. Mm. Just like he did. Yeah. But like, if I put up 81... I'm definitely, I definitely want that ball. Yeah. Uh, or in the case of Dane, like if I'm, if I crack the top five in the history of the Three NBA, points. I, yeah. I will want that ball. Yeah. Give me that ball. Yeah. Interesting. Very. That was probably the highlight of my basketball week. I thought that was hilarious. Um. What's your number two takeaway? Back on track after that tangent. Num- number two takeaway. Uh, the Denver Nuggets. They're starting to round out for him. Jamal Murray's back. Jokic, he, he looks like he's starting to come out of that slump because he had, like, maybe a two- to three-game, like, slump where he just was not making shots. Uh, what I'm about to say, don't take the wrong way because I didn't do it, but it was people that put a meme up of, like, his stat line where he had a triple-double, and it was like his body would rush his face on it. Yeah, it I saw like, that. yeah. So, I think he's back to being the MVP, gaining MVP form. So, I think the Nuggets are about to go on a run. I can believe that. Uh, Number one for me is, I know it's not going to last, but this version of Anthony Davis is why the Lakers won't trade him. So, reason I mentioned him as the Western Mamba, This these are his stats over the last three games. 37-10 and 10 in the win against the Spurs, 37-11 and 11 against the Mavs, and then against the Pacers in the finals of the end season tournament, again, that I think is pointless. Dropped 40 points with 20 boards. And I think he had, what, like four blocks like he was just an absolute menace and that's the frustrating thing about Anthony Davis is when he's in when he's healthy when he's good he's a top 10 player in the NBA bar none 
the problem is getting him to do that on a consistent level. And it's easy to be like, well, it's hard for anybody to play like that on a consistent level. I don't want to hear it because great players are great regardless. And Anthony Davis just has not reached that point where he can just put up these great numbers and do this consistently night in and night out, which is what's so frustrating. And I can understand the dilemma of the Lakers front office because it's like when he has those slumps or when he gets these ticky-tack injuries, it's easy to be like, man, what's the point of keeping Draymond? It's no reason to. But then he has this three-game stretch, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's why he's still here. Uh, my number one is is also kind of petty. I'm going to be honest with you. But the uh, the last dance doc of the Golden State Warriors is probably going to be one of the greatest documents documentaries of all time. Oh, I can't wait. I cannot because, wait. Like, everything that's transpired, these because. I don't care what nobody say. This team isn't going to have, like, isn't going to be the same team come next year. I highly doubt it. Um, And, like, whenever it drops, boy, it's going to be must-see TV, and I can't wait. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Because the last dance was great, but, and they had their drama. I think this is going to be a whole nother level. And I can't wait. Oh, it's going to be so good. I, Steve Kerr, God bless him. He and both of them. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and move on, though, to some roster moves. Starting off with the New York Knicks, uh, they signed veteran free agent Todd Gibson to a one-year deal. Uh, the move comes after Mitchell Robinson has been sidelined with the injury, and also he's one of Tom Thibodeau's favorites, playing with him during their time with the Bulls, um, the Bulls, Wolves, and previously with the Knicks. So happy to see Todd Gibson back in the league. And also, there's been some trade rumors around some young vets as well. Starting off with the Los Angeles Lakers, reportedly by Sam Amico, the Lakers are actively looking to trade D'Angelo Russell. Also, reports are starting to come out that the Utah Jazz are looking to move forward John Collins after being frustrated with his play on both ends of the court and have placed him on the trade block. So, let's go ahead and start things off with John Collins. Let's say the tr- rumors of him potentially being traded are true. What team do you think should jump on the bandwagon and try to get him? What team do I think should jump on the bandwagon? You want me to go first? No, nah, I'm thinking. Yeah, you go first. I'm still thinking. Okay. I would say the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're a team that has cap space out the wazoo, draft picks out the wazoo, and they don't need John Collins to start. I mean, Jalen Williams, the... J-A-L-E-N, because they have two of them. Um, He's been playing, holding that uh, power forward spot down pretty well. And I think that if you bring him in, at the worst case, he just remains on your second level. Like, if the starters come out, he comes in and he plays solid. Best case scenario, he's a change of place player who, even though he may not be able to knock down shots as well as Williams can, I think that he's still young enough. And I think he has enough potential to be a really impact player for them, even if he never, like, turns into a star or a superstar. Um, for me, I am going to say, I'm going to say Indiana. I feel like, and it's weird because I feel like they have essentially have the same player in Obi Toppin, but <clears throat> it never hurts because who knows how long, who knows what injuries will look like. Yeah. Because with Obi Toppin, you basically run pick and rolls. He occasionally knocks down a three. He gets lobs. And that's what John's calling is. And you could potentially have him come off the bench and he can add like a scoring punch to the bench because 
once you kind of take Tyrese and Buddy Hill out the lineup, they don't really have anybody else that can score. Yeah, it's a very different looking group. Um, all right, so what about D'Angelo Russell? Where do I see D'Lo? Uh, 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 I'll let you go again. So this isn't. I'm gonna say the Chicago Bulls. It isn't even necessarily the Bulls wanting D'Lo. I think it'll be more of a case of. The Lakers wanted Zach Levine, and Zach Levine wanted to be a Laker. I think that they would find a way to create a trade package where D'Lo ends up with the Bulls whenever the Bulls eventually start to blow it up. I was going to say the Bulls basically for the same reason. And I also just think, like, the thing, something that the Bulls, and I don't know, because Kobe White has looked kind of good this season. Mm-hmm. I think because Lonzo's been out and we don't know the certainty of what he's going to look like or come back, I think the Bulls just need, like, a solid point guard. Yeah. Um, and D'Lo, like, I think with the Lakers, the expectations are so high of, like, people aren't it. I want to say people are expecting D'Lo to be a superstar, but they're expecting D'Lo to be, like, close to a borderline star. And I don't think he's that level of player. Yeah. Uh, so I think if you were to go to Chicago, have some more realistic expectations and some more probably like some some more free like freedom from like less stress of the weight of playing for like the the Lakers who are in the midst of trying to get a championship, mm-hmm. I'd be good for them. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, especially because like I said, it's clear that Chicago is not contending for anything right now. Right now, they're just trying to figure out what their identity is and what they want their next steps to be. And so I think D'Lo, he's kind of been in a situation like that with the Nets where he ended up playing amazing for them. And then it kind of shocked everybody when he ended up getting traded. Like, I think that could be a similar situation for him. Um, And, like, again, just not having as much pressure on him. But all right, let's go ahead and look at some injury news. Unfortunately, there are quite a few to talk about. Starting off in San Antonio, they are losing uh, center Charles Bassey for the season. He tore his Achilles in his left knee. Uh, The Dallas Mavericks are losing guard Kyrie Irving after he suffered a heel contusion but avoided a substantial injury after teammate Dwight Powell landed on his right leg. So speedy speedy recoveries to them. And then the Cleveland Cavaliers got hit twofold. First off, it was announced that they are going to be losing guard Darius Garland for the next several weeks after he suffered a fractured jaw after running into Celtics Christos Porzingis and then earlier today it was reported that Evan Mobley is going to be out for at least the next six to eight weeks uh, with a left knee surgery upcoming I know the Cavaliers aren't a team that's been making a lot of noise right now right now they're the ninth seed at 13 and 12 in the Eastern Conference but in your opinion which loss do you think hurts them the most being honest, I think they hurt. They both hurt equally, just for different reasons. Like when you lose a guy, when you lose your point guard in Darius Garland, he's the guy that sets the off. He's the guy that initiates the offense, sets people up. Yes, he can also score, but he's one of the better like assist point guards in the NBA. So I think you're you're going to miss that aspect of it because it's like you need that kind of like running mate with Donovan Mitchell uh, because now you're going to put a lot of the offensive load on Donovan Mitchell, which I know he can carry, but it's just better when you can kind of split it up. Mm -hmm. And then from the aspect of Evan Mobley, like I think it's more on the defensive side of the the court 
where he is a versatile defender. He can switch on the guards. He can he can play in the pick and roll. He's a great shot blocker. And I know they have Jared Allen, but like I think one of the things, at least because I went to, it was Edmund Mobley's rookie year. I went to the game when they played in Memphis. I think it was a home opener. And it was just like, you could kind of see then, like, oh, this dude could be like a potential defensive player of the year candidate. And I think that's where you're going to miss him on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Yeah, I I actually agree with you because, I mean, we we kind of joke about it while defensive basketball like is out of the window, but you can tell when somebody is good on defense and when they're how the game changes when they're not on the court, and that's kind of what you get with Evan Mobley. And so it's hard to kind of quantify his value because most of the dirty work that he does isn't going to pop up on the stat sheet, but it's a clear difference when he is and isn't playing. And then with Darius Garland, like you said, like he is a kind of a stat sheet stuffer. He's a great passer. Like I said, he's a really good running mate for Donovan Mitchell, who. I love me some Spider, but, I mean, this season doesn't feel like – not to say he hasn't been impactful with the Cavaliers, but it just feels like it's been a slight drop-off in overall production. And so with two starters out, he's going to have to step up in a really, really big way if they're going to want to make a make the playoffs or maybe even make a possible run, which I think is a long shot, but even still just having a chance. So I agree with you. I think both are equally tough pills to swallow, and I'm interested to see what they'll do in terms of, like, adding personnel – um, to try to cover those up. But all right, now it's time to talk about Draymond Green. For those of you listening, I'm assuming you know that Draymond Green has been indefinitely suspended by the NBA following a, for lack of a better term, a punch to Phoenix Sun Center, uh, use of Nurkic. And following the game, Nurkic said that brother needs help. I'm glad he didn't try to choke me, which Fun fact, that happened, what, a couple months ago? Uh, Draymond retorted his eventual ejection and said, I don't think I'm an accurate enough puncher to do a full 360 and connect with someone. Like I said, he's been suspended indefinitely by the NBA, and before he can come back, he has to undergo counseling appointed by the NBA. And who's no telling what other circumstances and things he's going to have to do? So let's start off with the hit itself. I, everybody makes excuses. Nobody tried to do anything wrong, but bad things happen all the time. Do you think it's possible that he could have hit Nurkic by accident? Before I answer that question, Draymond, you said you're not that accurate of a puncher. Let the history be stated. In your in your history of throwing punches, you two for two. Now, to be fair, though, it's different. Now, Jordan Poole is different, though. Like, he walked up on him. I don't care. In, in, in boxing terms, in MMA fighting terms, your, your puncher percentage is 100%. Well, yeah. That's me. You ain't wrong. You're not wrong about that. But in the case of the Nurkic situation, I don't. I, I don't know if he really intended on hitting Nurkic, but I do think he was still intending on swinging to clear the space because Nurkic was on him, pushing up on him, and he got – you could tell he was getting frustrated. Yeah. So I don't think he was intending on connecting. I think he was, he was more so, like, trying to get his space. And for one, he won a battle the wrong way. Like, he went high. If anything, just smack his hand out the way. Right. So, 
I'm gonna say I'm on the iffy because I I also don't know like again I play pick up basketball and I've seen where like you just chilling playing a game like in the middle in the floor of the game and folks just start throwing hands so I I don't know yeah it's I'll say this I've seen Draymond Green blatantly do stuff. This one didn't feel blatant. Again, not saying he didn't intend to get off with something. He maybe didn't think he was going to, like, connect totally on a punch. But I don't think he intended, like, solely to, like, punch his brother in the face. So I'll I'll give him that. So, but I think he meant to do something, just not to that extent. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. So, like we said, it's an indefinite suspension. No TBD as to when he is going to return. In your opinion, when do you think is the next time Draymond is going to be able to take the court for the the Warriors? Because it honestly would not shock me if he doesn't play again this year. I think he'll play again this year because he's still kind of close to the beginning of the season. But like I said, off air, I think it's going to be a minimum like 10 games. If it's 10 games, it's what? The 15th, it's only 16 game, sixteen days left this year. So I don't think he'd play. I mean, not this year. Oh, no, no, no. I meant like the end of 2023. My bad. I'm sorry. I meant like the physical year. Oh. He'll um, be back this season. I don't I don't think we'll see him till, I don't think we'll see him till, till the beginning of next year. Maybe a little bit after the beginning of next year. Yeah, it's... Because the thing is, it's one thing, this incident. I feel like if it was an isolated incident, he might have got like five to seven games. But again, less than two months ago, he choked Rudy Gobert. And everybody saw it in living color. Like, there's no excuse for that. And he got five. The NBA can't let him get anything less than five. They at least have to double his suspension. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to be until... Sometime maybe January, maybe mid-January. And so now it leads me to, like, the final question. Is it even worth – is Draymond Green worth the drama for the Warriors anymore? Because obviously following the incident, Steve Kerr was asked about it. He said, the one who choked Rudy, the one who took a wild flail at Yusuf, the one who punched Jordan last year, that's the guy who needs to change. And I mean, it's clear frustration from Steph and the rest of the team because you know how important Draymond is, but the -the off-the-court antics are keeping him off the court. And so, do you think it's worth continuing to put up with Draymond? No, um, I think that he's he's gotten to a point where it's like it's not working. For one, you're not winning. Yeah. Like it'll be different if y'all were still winning, and it's like he. Cause I mean, we mentioned we referenced the last dance earlier in our in this pod, and a big a nice maybe episode and a half chunk of the last dance talked about Dennis Rodman and the way that he would have his antics. But the thing about it is, is he they were winning, and in that, when they needed Dennis Rodman, he showed up. So like, they aren't winning, and like at least for the time being, they aren't winning enough to the point where it's like, when we need Draymond, he's gonna show up. So I I don't think it's worth keep. I don't think it's worth putting up with. I don't think so either, and it's like, 
more so than anything, Draymond has like an emotional impact on this team. Like his numbers aren't going to wow you. They're not going to look like, oh yeah, he's 100% like contributing on the court. That's not his game. But he's a leader on that team nonetheless because he gets them right. But you got to factor in he's on the wrong side of 30. You did just give him a contract extension, but I feel like you could easily get out of that if you really wanted to. And again, like it's just causing more detriment to the team because you're not here. You're not here making the impact. You're not here making those great defensive plays. You're not helping us to the playoffs. If anything, you're hindering us and becoming a major distraction. And so if you're already the Warriors who already have a lot of other questions to ask regarding your roster, which we're going to get to in a second, I don't think it's worth it either. And I think it would not shock me if they were like, you know what, Draymond, it's been fun. We love you. We always going to love you. Always, You always got a place in our hearts, in this franchise, but you will not be playing here anymore. And I don't think anybody could really blame them for that. But all right, moving on to our game of believable or buffoonery, let's talk about another warrior who has been struggling, and that is Clay Thompson. In recent games, he's been benched in crunch time simply because he's not making the impact that you would like. Uh, Steve Kerr, when asked about leaving Clay, Wiggins, and Looney on the bench in close games, said, I just felt like tonight I had the guys who were playing the best. I've been patient. Tonight did not feel like a night to have a lot of patience. And he wasn't totally wrong. And Klay Thompson, who doesn't seem to take much accountability about his play, even admitted, I was pl- I've was i been playing like crap. Um, we talked about this in the offseason, about the potential of him getting an extension. But reportedly by Shams, that is no longer the case. His future has been in question, Shams said. I'm told that the Warriors offered him a two-year deal in the range of $48 million and an extension to Clay before the season, and now there's no deal. Right now, he's averaging 15.4 points per game, shooting 39.7% from the field and 34.3% from three. So, believable or buffoonery, this will be the last season we will see Klay Thompson in a Warriors uniform. I think it's believable. Um, Post, he ever, like last season, I think he had a really good season, but still, post, Ever since he's come back from those injuries, he just hasn't looked like the same player. Um, and obviously, there's that's, that's nothing to kind of like brush over. But I just think it's one of those things where it's like, okay, um, time happens, things happen, and you need to move on and adapt. And the thing about the Warriors is, is they have nice young pieces that – They've been stashing, like Jonathan Kaminga being one of them. They've been stashing him and kind of giving him spot minutes, and he's been slowly developing. And now I think because you still have arguably a top-10 player in the NBA and stealth, like now you've got these young guys that are kind of coming into their own, like try to take advantage and maybe adapt and change while you still have all of those pieces together. And losing Clay is probably going to be a part of that move. Yeah, I would agree with you for everything you said. I also think it's believable. All right, we you talked about Dame 
cracking the top five all-time three-point list. Um, right now, he stands at 2,451 made three-pointers. And to top Reggie Miller, who's right ahead of him, he's going to need 2,560. Overall, that's 109 three-pointers. Believable or buffoonery, Dame will pass Reggie Miller this season. I think it's believable. Because um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Dame is one of the people that has made like 200 threes along with Stealth in recent years. And I know a lot of it came from him being the primary uh, like scorer and main option. But I still feel like on the books, you're going to get opportunities to make threes either off the dribble or wide open. So I'm, I'm going to say yes. Yep, I agree with you. I think it'll happen too. It may not happen to like really deep in the year, but I think it definitely can take place. All right, last thing before we uh, make our night picks and move on to WWE Awards. Um, LeBron James has been a staple in the face of the NBA for almost two decades now. And it's got people questioning what is going to happen once LeBron eventually retires. Uh, Austin Rivers, fellow NBA vet, said the NBA is in trouble when LeBron retires. And he said this is why. We're still relying on LeBron to be the face of the league because we don't have anybody else. Jokic doesn't want it, and he doesn't have the game for it in terms of flash and overall fanfare. So, believable or buffoonery, the NBA is in trouble once LeBron hangs it up. Uh, I think buffoonery because I think I think Giannis could become the face of the NBA. Um, he's he's still young enough. He's good enough. His team wins enough games. I think a big part of it as well is, like, kids love Giannis. Yeah. Like, in this generation, because, like, more people in this generation, they don't even rock with LeBron anyway. It's more my generation, like, was the last big generation of people that mess with LeBron. So I could def- I could see Giannis potentially being it. Who knows, depending on what Anthony Edwards does, um in this upcoming playoff, he might be able to take some of that uh, face of the NBA like stock because he has the personality. Anthony Edwards is hilarious. Yes. he His game is flashy and explosive enough. He just hasn't done anything in the playoffs. That's the only thing that like has hindered him. I, it's weird because I think LeBron has established himself as one of the most recognizable athletes in the nation, period. Not in the nation, in the world. And Giannis obviously has, like, international appeal, but it's like, if you're talking to somebody who doesn't watch basketball, there's not a big chance they know who Giannis is. You know what I mean? And so, from that perspective, I can understand where Austin Rivers is coming from because when you're the face of the league, not only are you the most recognizable face for fans, but even non-basketball fans know who you are. And so it's like, if Steph was younger, I think he would be able to take that spot. But now it's like, he's old up there. There's no telling how much longer he's going to be playing. Same with LeBron. And so it's like, I don't, from just a global standpoint, I think it is going to be hard for the NBA to find that next guy who just has such a reach. Like, I, I would say probably Giannis, but again, as of right now, I don't think he's well-known enough for, like, non-NBA fans to be able to recognize him if he was just out and about. 
Yeah, I think another. The, I feel like the only thing that can hinder Giannis is I think he will have to win at least he will have to win a couple more championships, but also the market that he's in. I agree. Like, I'm not. I I'm pro small market. I mean, my favorite team is a small market. I live in a small market city, but I think in the in terms of like being the face of the front of the NBA, you have to play in a bigger market. Like you think about it from this standpoint, the faces of the NBA all played in big markets. Michael Jordan played in played for the Bulls, which I mean, he turned into a big market during yeah. his time there. Then you look at Kobe with the Lakers, biggest market. You look at LeBron, I mean he turned Cleveland into a I, Cleveland was still a small market, but he just had so much of an aura and a hype around him that he made Cleveland irrelevant. I then think he, I don't think he really became like face at NBA level though until he got to Miami, and yeah. then when he established that, he went back to Cleveland. But so, yeah, and so then you went to Miami, which is a bigger market. Then you go back to Cleveland, and once you go back to Cleveland, by that point, you don't. It doesn't matter where you play. You're such a big a big enough face. People want to see you. You're going to have that notoriety. And then in the latter portion of your career, now you're in L.A. So, like, I think that also plays a part because right now we don't have, outside of LeBron in L.A., excuse me, we don't have any other big market players in big markets. Like, we have Jason Tatum, but, like, he, I don't know. Jason Tatum also falls in their their lane of like, you're going to have to win in the playoffs because every year the Celtics have one of the best rosters assembled and they have, they, they don't capitalize in the playoffs. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think, like I said, in terms of NBA fans, I think it'll be fine. But, like, outside of it, it's going to be tough. Because also, like, LeBron goes to other, like, non-NBA big events, like movie premieres and red carpets and stuff like that. Is Giannis really about to do all that? No. And I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to do it either. But, yeah, I, I think from that retrospect, I think the NBA would be in trouble. But, all right, let's go ahead and make these game picks real quick, starting off with the Detroit Pistons heading to Philly to face the 76ers. I got Sixers. Sixers by 20 piece. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me. Indiana Pacers going to D.C. to face the Wizards. I got Pacers. Pacers. New Orleans Pelicans heading to Charlotte to face the Hornets. I got Pelicans. Pels. Orlando Magic heading to Boston. I got Boston, but I think it's going to be a good game. Boston. Los Angeles Lakers versus the Clippers. I mean, not Clippers, I'm sorry. Versus the Spurs. Spurs currently on a what? 18-game losing streak. I'm sorry, but I think they make it 19. Yeah, Lakers. Atlanta Hawks versus the Toronto Raptors. I'm going Hawks. Raptors. Dylan Brooks is back in Memphis for the first time since leaving the team going against the Grizzlies. I got Grizzlies. I will. This will be the second game I've gone to all season. Uh, We better win. Yeah. You just uh, just for just because it's against DB, like in the shit he been talking, you got to get your lick back. Um, New York Knicks versus the Phoenix Suns. I'm going Suns. Right. 
All right, last but certainly not least, it's time to give out some end of the year WWE awards. For those of you who have been around, you know we do this every year. Uh, but for those of you who are new, um, each year we pick, we get some categories together and kind of recap the 2023 uh, WWE year as a whole. So that's what me and Ethan are going to do real quick, going to talk about some categories. There'll be more coming later in the year, so look out for that. But let's just go ahead and start off with who we think had the best heel turn this year. Best heel turn. Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember who all turned heel this year. You want me to go first? Yeah. I'm going to go Trish Stratus. Um, I'll admit, and we talked about this, like, when it happened that on that match in Raw, like, I thought it was... It was done kind of sloppy. I didn't think it looked that good. But considering the feud that it led to, I think I'll give it a lot more credence. And, like, she was such a legitimate and good heel that Raw needed at the time, like, away from Rhea Ripley. And it also helped to kind of add to the legitimacy of Becky Lynch and get kind of a fan base created for Zoe Stark. I think it was really well done. So I'd go Trish. I'm going to have to go with Drew McIntyre. Uh even though we all saw it coming, I think just, in my opinion, Drew's just a better wrestler as a heel. Yes. Like, he, like, from his physical stature, his imposing nature, it just all works better as a heel than a babyface. And, like, even, like, the way that he beat the crap out of Jay, I think it was this, this Monday. Last Monday. Yeah, last Monday, like, when you, in my opinion, and I and I don't want to say it this way, but it, it's kind of like the Americanized nature of me, of like I've seen so many movies where the bad guys, this big, buff, imposing like guy from a different country. So like Drew fits that bill, and when he's a heel, I think he's better overall. All right, next up we got Return of the Year. I'm going two for two. I got Trish for everything I said about best heel turn. Return. I got to go to Randy. Even though it happened, like, super recent, I just think that, like, since he's been back, he's been gold. I love Randy, but it for me, it wouldn't be fair. He's only been back two weeks. And so it's like, eh. Randy would be my two, but I, I just couldn't do it. Uh, number three, uh, you trying to get married award. This is one of my favorite awards to give out. This goes to the WWE superstar who, like, you've probably thought they looked good in the past, but this year, like, it kind of went crazy. And so while we respect their wrestling ability and their talent in the ring, we're also human, and we also know what looks good to us. So that is what the uh, you trying to get married award is. I mean, for me, it's an obvious answer. And I feel like for almost any male that's a fan of wrestling, they're going to say this person is real Ripley. That's totally fair. I'm going Angelo Dawkins. Pretty much, if you ask me, Raven, what is your type? Angelo Dawkins is it. Um, well, I'll get into that more later on. But yeah, definitely Angelo Dawkins. All right, next up, another favorite of mine, the How Are You Not Dead Award. This award goes to a wrestler or wrestlers who had such a crazy spot this year that you're wondering how they were able to get up and keep wrestling or even just survive. Randy is getting this. Well, it's not even Randy. It's J.D. McDonald. Big RKO 
off the top of the cage. Like, I couldn't even build up the courage, I think, to come to just dive limp from that height. Yeah. So, like, I got to give it to him. Yeah, for sure, because that that's a good one. Honestly, I, I think I told you this. I climbed a ladder for the first time. I think mug was, like, 10 feet tall. And it made me have such an appreciation for wrestlers because, like, there's no way in hell I could jump off this. Nonetheless, you want me to jump off of a 20-foot, so actually get thrown off of it and hope that this man catches me and I'm it's still going to hurt because he's going to RKO me? No shot. Um, But I'm going to go with – this is kind of a boring answer, but whatever. I'm going the Intercontinental Championship triple threat because you would think, like, after so much pressure being put on your chest and your heart, I just, you would think something would happen, right? You would think your body wouldn't be able to take all of that. Especially, like, if you got Gunther, Sheamus, and Drew McIntyre doing it. Like, I'm not saying your heart should stop, but you would think something, you, I don't think you should be able to, like, move as well afterwards. But, all right, next up, we got female superstar of the year. That's self-explanatory. Yeah. Um, I feel like... The obvious answer is Rhea, so I'm going to not go with the... I'm going to try to give a non-obvious answer. Uh, I am going to say Zoe Stark. That's real. That's dope. Um, I'm going the obvious answer. I'm going Rhea, just because Rhea was already popping coming into this year. But now it's like Rhea Ripley has cemented herself as like one of the faces of WWE and arguably the most popular person on Raw in general. And I mean, she's earned it. I mean, her championship run hasn't been great, but who she, her gimmick is perfect for her. Her interest music is perfect for her. Promos are perfect for her. Like as much as I love to see it like translate to better storylines, who she is as a wrestler is, is top notch. All right. Male superstar of the year. Um, I'm going to say Cody. I'm going Seth. Uh, I think I would give it to Seth just because Seth has kind of been, obviously Roman is like the guy. And for the last couple years, he'd been the sole champion. But Seth has been the guy doing all the dirty work, showing up every week, like putting on the stellar matches. And to see him finally be able to like lead to a world title has been amazing. And I'm happy for him. Like, we talked about this. I may be getting slightly bored of Seth, but not when he's in the ring just because he's just so good. And it can have a good match with just about everybody. And it was nice to see him get his due this year. I'm actually changing my pick. Okay. Because as we were talking, I thought about this person. Gunther. Gunther was a dog. Gunther is... Gunther was my best champion. Like, when we do full awards or when that episode comes out... He was my full. He was my best champion of the year. Going through is a man. All right, and then last but not least, this isn't necessarily a award. It's just a final result. Um, each year we do psychic of the year when it's multiple people making a pay per view slash uh premium live event predictions, and we say who's the psychic of the year, and it was me. I had five definitive play pay per view wins. So pat myself on the back. I had five. Embryo had two. And then you had one. I think it was Crown Jewel was the one that you definitively won. 
But yeah, those are WWE Awards. Like I said, closer to the end of the year, we will have like a longer episode with more categories. It's going to be me and Embryo. So stay tuned for that. That was a blast and a half to record. And uh, Ethan, before we get up out of here, anything you wanted to say? Go Titans, go Grizz. Yeah, speaking of wrestling, so I have a, a, a question for you. Okay. Let's say we take all of the NBA tough guys and we put them in a Royal Rumble, who do you think wins? Mm, that's a great question. Um, At this very moment, I think I'm going to say Steven Adams because I think he – mainly because I think he'd be the hardest for them to actually get out of the ring. And he's strong enough to where he would be able to take bodies out. And unless, like, people are coming together to tag team to get him out, I think he'd be a very hard elimination. So I would go Steven Adams. See, the only reason – I don't – I guess because I'm a good this fan, I don't consider him, like – what I, I guess what I mean by tough guy. Oh, you mean I, like just menaces to a society? Yeah, like okay. Uh, I'm going James Johnson because he gonna knock you out and then just throw you out the ring. I'm either I'm I'm either gonna go James Johnson or I'm going Isaiah Stewart because like, dude is like six eight two fifty. The thing about Isaiah Stewart is I think he's just has. When he gets mad, it's like he sees red. He doesn't really, like, have pare- – like, he's not able to, like, control himself when he gets that upset. And I think that would, like, work to his disadvantage because if you get him riled up enough and he has all that adrenaline pump, you could just easily, like, side swap him and throw him out the ring. That's true. But if it was, like, just a big old, like, fight, I, I probably would say Isaiah Stewart. Honestly, I, I'm chaotic. We talked about this. Like, I just want to see him. I just want to see Draymond and James Jones square up or Isaiah Stewart and Draymond square up. Just because I was talking so, about this. I'm sorry, what you say? No, I was going to say so on the James, on the Isaiah Stewart front. I don't know if you saw it, but, like, this was obviously before the Nike's punch. I think after Draymond came back, it was a little situation between Draymond and Isaiah Stewart, and Draymond kind of kind of chilled out. Hey, the bull! It's all funny games till the bully get bullied. Yeah. So yeah, I think it'd be a situation like that because, yeah, that I was telling one of my coworkers like this is when I missed the Marcus Cousins because the Marcus Cousins had he been there, you know, Draymond would never try this with Boogie, ever. No. What were we going to say? I'm sorry. I think it cut out. No, I was just saying, oh, yeah, 100%. So, yeah, that's – but, yeah, Royal Rumble, I would think I would go James Johnson. That would be my pick. But, uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. Um, Be sure to continue to check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Export. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you all next time.